if you want to grow as a brand aggressively, you want them to be your customers. Whether or not they are, you're always asking yourselves, how do I get, how do I expand my customer base? Welcome back to Bite Sized. Uh, super excited today. I've got Will Nitzer on. Um, he is founder and CEO of IQ Bar. Um, Will, great to have you on. Um, really excited to chat today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So uh, for anyone who doesn't know uh, you or IQ Bar, um, just give us a brief intro into you, uh, the brand, what the brand is all about. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I live in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm 32. I'm married. I like chess. I like soccer. And uh, yeah, so I started IQ Bar. Well, so I graduated college in 2014. Um, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I took a job in software just sort of by default and didn't really love software or I was selling oil and gas companies. Uh, so I didn't, didn't really love the oil and gas industry either. Got super into nutrition. This was like 2015, 2016, and always wanted to start my own thing and was always entrepreneurial. But yeah, I got personally into nutrition and then became obsessed with this idea of brain food, which tied back in my fascination with the brain I developed in college, uh, studied psychology and neuroscience, among other things. So yeah, I got, got obsessed with this idea of brain food and thought that I, you know, why, why can't I create this? So that was how Bar was born. I, I literally, the KitchenAid in my kitchen just started making samples and then I'd sit on weekends and figuring out how to formulate products and completely self-taught, like no background in it or know anyone with a background in it and just sure, yeah, put one fluid in front of the other. So was that out of a desire because you wanted to improve your own cognitive function and, and kind of mental kind of stamina? Is that how it kind of came about? That was a, the original thought. So I got into biohacking, quote unquote, like not ever seriously, but I, I was just, I was interested in the concept and, and I, I consumed a lot of stuff by Dave Asprey, if you know who he is, the Bulletproof Coffee guy and uh, I read a book called uh, Grain Brain that really like changed the way I thought about nutrition as it relates to the brain. And I was just, I was never like super hardcore into it, but I, I was interested in it and I would read Reddit threads about modafinil and drafinil like smart drugs and things like that. So yeah, I was, I was definitely, I was definitely interested in it. Um, other important question that came out of your intro, what soccer team do you support? I'd say I'm, I'm like a fake soccer fan. Like I watch, like I watch Premier League. So my old, one of my buddies from college who I was then roommates with out of college was a huge Liverpool fan. So I'll go with Liverpool. Okay. I'm I'm a diehard Man United fan, so we should just end this podcast right now. Well my our other <laughs> roommate, there's three of us, was a diehard Man U fan. So I don't know. Liverpool just means seems more contrarian. Yeah. And he's too easy of an answer. That's true. That's true. Although we had some barren years, but um we're we're getting we the seven nil thrashing of us there the other week must have made you happy. Um I was actually at a, a live event with a bunch of Man United fans watching it and, and left it. 4-0, I think it was. I couldn't face it anymore. Oh, <laughs> sorry to hear that. I know, it wasn't great. So the, the original motivation for the brand, as you mentioned, it was just kind of you you researching this. It was for, for personal. Um, how long has the brand been going? Yeah, so we started with a Kickstarter in 2018, January of 2018, and then we delivered our first unit, like our first order from that in mid-2018. So coming up on five years. 
Okay. And and how much has the the mission changed and what's the end goal for the brand? Uh well the end goal is to sell the company. <laughs> um how, when that happens, how that happens, if that happens, I, I don't know. Um maybe we crash and burn tomorrow. We'll see. But that's it that's the goal. Build up a really big business and sell it to millions and millions of people. Not not build a household name, but have a large group of of loyal fans and then sell the business. And and how's the mission change? I mean, the mission, first of all, mission is something that you kind of reevaluate every year or every, maybe even six months. And you're like, and then and there's so many sub components of it. It's like, why are we doing what we're doing? What are we telling people the point of the brand is? How are we advertising what we're doing? But on a high level, basically we're trying to displace unhealthy snacks with healthy functional snacks um you know functional piece is really important like you, know, you can have like a kind bar let's say that's just a lot healthier than let's say a snickers bar but it's not really functional you know it's healthier but not functional we want to be healthier and have functional components to our bars and then we also came up with hydration stick packs and um we're also we're also looking at the, the coffee category Okay, interesting. Yeah, we've we I've done some work with like a functional coffee brand, and it you know people who are looking to you know optimize their lives, optimize performance. I think there's a there's a really big kind of need because, like you said, there's there's healthier than the worst option, but then there's functional to the point where it actually benefits, and and there's a big difference right right between those two things. So it sounds like, and from what I've seen of the brand, IQ is trying to be, you know, it's not just healthier than the bad option; it's actually beneficial in these other areas when it comes to, uh, you know, cognitive and, and energy and other things like that. Yeah, exactly. Although I will say like avoiding bad stuff is a huge first step. Like just like, if you look at diets, like the keto diet or paleo diet, a lot of it's when you, what are you avoiding? You're avoiding high carb stuff, bread, pasta, rice, etc. And just that step is huge right you lose weight and your brain works better you're, you're not spiking your blood sugar and insulin production and crashing at 230 so that is massive and so for like the mass like for the average person that'll take you really far but yeah we go that extra step of like by the way hey magnesium and omega-3s and all these other things can really optimize you so well i i first heard of or kind of came across you through linkedin and um you're pretty active on linkedin i I particularly like the morning shower thought posts that you that you post out. I mean, these are some long showers. There's some long, there's a lot of thoughts in there. Um, maybe it's a shower and a cold plunge. I'm not too sure, but you seem to be. You know, it's quite popular these days for brands building in public. Is that a conscious choice? Has it been beneficial? Do you just enjoy doing it? Has has it benefited you, or what's been the impact on the brand or you as an entrepreneur of kind of that building in public approach? It's kind of interesting because. There is, so let's say you're a B2B company and you're selling software or a tool or whatever to, to another business. For something like LinkedIn is really, is like super useful, right? Because the buyer, the people who are like the COO or CFO or head of supply chain or whoever your buyer is, is on there. And you don't need that to close that many of that type of person to generate a lot of revenue. And so it's a whole run, slam dunk, like whatever the metaphor is. For B2B to be really active on a platform like LinkedIn and 
be putting out good thought leadership stuff and generating a lot of eyeballs. It's very different for B2C for a consumer brand, right? Because, you know, any given person, let's say I get to a decision maker meeting a consumer, what's the most you can like, you know, they, they buy a sampler pack or whatever. And it's like, and also people, it's a business platform, right? They're not there to be sold consumer products to like, maybe they go to Instagram for that or whatever. So it was an open question of like, you know, what is the point? What is the point of putting out content? And then also what types of content do you want to put out? So I didn't, it was honestly a question I didn't have an answer to really, but I knew I wanted to start with how do I just generate a lot of impressions and engagement and then see how I could like divert that if at all, um, or utilize that or harness that. And, and I, I'm still in that like phase of like, how do you build up more and more and more? And so I'm not even really like, I don't have a really strict rubric where I'm like, I'm going to write about nutrition. I'm going to write about whatever, fill in the blank. Like, I'll kind of just write about whatever the hell I want to write about. Um, and it, hence the, hence the morning shower thoughts. Cause I'm kind of just trying to generate trust and engagement and impressions. And then once I hit some sort of critical mass, it's like, okay, now all these people who trust me, or at least think that what I have to say is halfway decent. Can I use that in some way? And so I, I'm still like ramping it up to that, but there's so many cool things have happened. Like tons of people have bought our products. I've got to meet so many cool people. People have helped me out. People are in stores and fix the facing on the shelf. Like we've gotten so like we gotten in, we gotten into a retailer because of it because the category manager for our category is on LinkedIn. So cool stuff just kind of falls out of the sky, um, but it's not like obvious what the benefits are going to be when you start. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. To your point though, like extra attention on you as a founder and attention on the brand, it's going to lead to something, right? And and actually, I kind of feel like. Um, I mean, more and more brand owners are doing it. I think consumers like to know more about the brand and who's building the brand to your point around trust. Also for something that's a consumable, right? I look at the brands that, you know, I've worked with, or we work with, there's that extra, there's that extra hump you have to go over if it's something you're going to put in your body, especially if you're saying it's going to help you in this capacity or could potentially help you in this capacity. If I'm consuming it and putting it into my body. I think there's an extra level of consideration at that point. Um, you know, so I think like everything you're doing and like that building of trust and everything is, is probably really important. And, um, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, maybe you can talk about this funnels into your kind of marketing, right? Like how do you convey trust of a product you're going to consume and taste and everything else in your marketing strategies? Yeah. I mean, one way, one obvious way is reviews, right? Just a lot of people saying, Hey, I tried this and I, I liked it. You know, that that's, that's like a standard obvious way to generate trust, but all the same stuff, like you ever read influence the book influence. Yeah. So it's like all those same principles apply, like authority, like, do you trust this brand? Do you trust me? So appeals to authority, social proof. Are there a bunch of reviews? Like, Oh, these people liked it. Like, word of mouth, right? People like it, tell, tell their sister or mother or friend or whatever. Yeah. So all, all those same principles apply and we utilize all of them, but I'd say like the most obvious one is, is reviews, especially for us, which is, uh, there's other stuff too, right? Like 
your packaging alone can convey a lot. Like you can tell like, oh, this is a legit brand or this is like a, you know, someone who threw this together in 10 minutes. Um, how intentional is it? Consumers are getting smarter and smarter. So like the words you choose and like this, that, and like the way you depict the product, those are all like cues to the consumer who looks at hundreds or thousands of labels and um, brand aesthetics, right? So they may not even think they're a really smart consumer, but they there's so much muscle memory built up that like you can convey a lot without saying anything. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's been one of the biggest shifts that even I've noticed being in the marketing space for, well, a long time. I won't age myself too much, but since like 2003, 2004, consumers are smarter. There's more choices than ever. They see those choices more than ever. And they're also more aware that they're being marketed to, right? Especially through social. You know, they're aware of what's an ad. Like the general consumer understands that they're being, you know, if they see an influencer ad, they understand the mechanics mechanics of, oh, this is an influencer marketing post. Um, so I also think to your point, um, and I like your point around packaging, right? Like that is that is so important. And also when you think about things like customer loyalty and everything, like how you receive a product, especially if it's an online um, kind of deli delivery mechanism, to encourage that word of mouth, that digital word of mouth, it should feel like a bit of an experience. It should convey trust and it should also be something that they want to post about, right? Or they want to share with their friends. Um, seems like you also think that through in terms of how you've structured packaging and, and everything else. Yeah, and we're going through, we're actually going through this big branding exercise as we speak. Because we've never, like you asked earlier, how did the, how's the mission evolve? Your product and mission and team and experience and all that stuff evolves massively every year because you're moving so fast and you're testing so many data points and you're getting so much feedback and you're always like micro adjusting. So you, you look back and 12 months prior, you're like, whoa, I'm, everything is totally different. So, like who we are and why we exist, even like we re question that every year. And right now we're going through this whole thing where it's like, it, especially as we roll out new product lines, we're like, what is the brand? Right? Like, IQ bar. Well, what if we have hydration and this and that? And is it like IQ mix by IQ bar? Or is it like, are we IQ co? And then under IQ co is these things. So it's like existential. Who are we? What's even our need? And like, and then what do we want consumers to think about us? Like, one of the, the same things that make us good and different and attractive are also things that are, make our lives more challenging, meaning we have a bunch of value propositions. So like for our bars, let's say it's a protein bar. Okay, cool. But also like it's a plant protein, bar. but also it's a low sugar plant protein bar, but also it's a low sugar plant protein bar with nutrients for your brain, but also it's blah, 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 blah. You keep going. And so how do you, which of those things do you, what's your hierarchy? What's your call out a hierarchy? How do you distill those things really cleanly, clearly, concisely, packaging, branding, advertising, website, homepage, et cetera, because you could go 50 different ways. So, you know, if you're, if you're a bag of chips and maybe you use coconut oil instead of, I don't know, canola oil, it's not that hard of a branding challenge. It's like, we're a cleaner chip. We use this oil. Like, got it, done, solved. For us, it's like way harder. So it's a never ending journey of, by the way, trends change, right? So like I'll give you an example, keto is 
massive, massive trend in the U.S. Seven-year run. Like, it was the trend. People thought, eh, one, two years. Ended up being like a seven-year massive trend. It's now tapering off. And we benefited massively from it. But we're like, all right, we got to like, we got to listen to what's happening in the marketplace. So maybe now it's like we're a low sugar brand. And it's sugar. So you also have to think about who you are and how you're framing yourself based on external variables, externalities, how are consumer preferences, demands, predilections changing. So long-winded way of saying it's a never-ending journey. Yeah, no, that's great. No, I like that. It makes total sense as well. Um, I was on a, on another call with one of with one of our team actually, and um, he's a, he's worked with many brands in different stages of their scale. And it, you, what you were saying kind of made me think about this. It's paying attention to consume consumer shifts and market shifts. But um, his number one piece of advice for brands as 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 they're kind of scaling and everything is listening to your customers. You know what what are they paying attention to? How do you do that? What are you using for that? Is it like just through post-purchase surveys? How else are you kind of gathering that feedback? Whether it's now or when you were in maybe your earlier stages of the brand growth, how how are you kind of eliciting and then using that customer feedback to help the brands kind of, you know, understand what people did care about? Post-purchase survey, for sure. That's one. That's a big one. Like, I, I don't think there's any substitute for talking to customers. One, probably the most useful exercise I've ever done is what's called a roadshow at Costco. So Costco's uh, Los Angeles region. You ever been to a Costco? Yeah, I live in LA. Oh, nice, nice. Um, all right, so you've been to a Costco probably in LA. Yeah. So uh, okay, we did a we did a, uh, a a road show at Costco in LA. We set up the whole booth. We had like two pallet spots, and we must have over eight days. We must have talked to ten thousand people, and like constant stream of people. We started at 9 a.m. We finished at 8 p.m. 11-hour days, standing on your feet, no, no lunch break, talking to people, trying to sell them. And it was like the best customer. Now, you might say, well, not all those people are your customers. But if you want to grow as a brand aggressively, you want them to be your customers. So whether or not they are, you're always asking yourselves, how do I get how do I expand my customer base? So it's just a really good like reflection of like what do people generally want? And so things like added sugar, right? We would we, we would test stuff verbally and get real time feedback. So we'd be like, which is so cool because like it's so much better than digital feedback because then you can ask a follow on question. You could be like, oh, what do you mean by that? You know what I mean? So you could be like, so they'd come up and be like, what's this all about? You don't even tell them. You say one gram sugar. 12 grams plant protein. Stop. And they go, oh, one gram sugar in the whole bar? Yep, in the whole bar. And then they'd be like, well, okay, is it added though? And they'd say this stuff and you, you would have never thought of that. You're like, no, no, of course it's not added. But then it's like, you hear like that 30 times, you're like, oh, even though it's only one gram sugar, they still actually care if it's added. Which to us, intuitively, it's like, who cares if it's added? It's one gram of sugar. But to them, they care. So then that, the downstream effect is that actually affects your packaging. So now you have like a big ass one gram and then like in parentheses, like none added. You know, and you wouldn't have put that there if you hadn't been heard 30 people, 50 people say that. And then just like, you know, okay, so like the brain thing, right? You, you can start and say, hey, this is a like brain food. It's got omega-3s and this and that. That doesn't work. 
And so it's a classic case of like why you create something or what you want to market to people versus what actually works and what actually closes deals and sales and all that. And so what works better is like one gram sugar, 12 grams plant protein, and it's good for your brain. But if you like the order of operations matters, let's say you started with, hey, this is brain food. And by the way, it's low sugar and it's not totally different sales prop, like totally different pitch. And the person's going to respond differently. So anyway, so of all the ways I've tested the market, tried to get feedback, that was the single best one I've ever experienced. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, that's really smart. Going into a slightly different uh, angle here. So again, using my own experience, DTC kind of became a business model, right? In recent years, it was all in on just direct to consumer, cut out all these additional things. Like we don't have to think about retail. We don't have to think about this. It's all just DTC. And I think that the tides have shifted um, or are shifting back again, where brands are thinking, okay, you know, it's not a business model, it's a channel. And I think especially in the world of, you know, CPG, you know, there's there's uh, natural um, constraints when it comes to only thinking DTC as a business model. So um, for you and, and just what, what's your take on that? How are IQ Bar approaching it? Um, and also, like, how do you balance achieving growth across? And I'm not so sure if you're on Amazon. I'm sure you have a Shopify, Amazon, potentially in retail stores. What's the priority? And how do you set yourselves up in terms of, you know, maybe marketing activities that support overall brand growth, but then track that back from a measurement standpoint? Because I think that's where a lot of brands struggle. You know, it's okay, we'll put our brand on Amazon, but it's going to cannibalize our DTC. Or we'll go into retail, but is our marketing efforts to support that? Or is it to support our DTC efforts? How, how do you think about it and, and what's worked for IQBar? Our brand is this year will be like, call it half and half brick and mortar versus e-com and of e-com of that 50% of our total business, I think it'll be like 75% Amazon and 25% D2C. So D2C is big, uh, multi-million dollar business for us, but still quite small, uh, as a portion of the total business. I can only give like our experience. I, I think you're right. D2C is a channel. It's not, well, I mean, I not. It depends. It's, it's all contextual. Like I, I was talking recently to these coffee companies, these like functional coffee companies. I mean, they're doing like 20 million bucks a year and it's all day to see. So it's like, clearly it can be a full on business model. If I think that works, why? Cause it's you're first of all, you're selling a drug, you're selling a literal drug in caffeine, which people like, uh, they consume it daily. Consumption cycle is very quick and it's very subscript conducive to subscription. So for some things that are like, check, 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 check. Great. Like DTC can be your entirety, can be your entire business. Most things don't fall, you know, don't check all those boxes. Maybe they're not as ship friendly. Maybe they're really short shelf life. Maybe they're not subscription conducive. Maybe they're, you know, consumption cycles longer, whatever. And so for most people, I think you're right. It's, it's a channel. I think it's like your, it is your billboard of your brand, right? Whenever someone cares about you either they go to your Instagram or your, your website, most likely, and it, and it can drive like good volume and all that for us, Amazon has always been much bigger. And I think it's, again, it's very context dependent for bars, for example, like just to think about your own purchasing habits, 
you want to like throw a bunch of stuff together in a basket on Amazon and like one of those, let's say is protein bars. How many actual brands do you go to their literal website and like check out on their website? Like not many, not many for most people. You buy it on Amazon. For like differently for, for women, let's say for like uh, fashion items different like you want to buy nike shoes different jewelry different but most things you're like yeah buy it on amazon so it's just more people are shopping it's more aligned with their way of buying your thing you know your category so some people fight that and they're like no I, there used to be this big debate don't do amazon's you don't own the data and amazon's basically won that debate for most categories so anyone who said that is now on amazon who said they weren't going to be when iOS 14.5 happened and all that, they're now on Amazon. I like literally all other than like, let's say these coffee companies. So I just think omnichannel is the answer. I think look at your category and where do people, like where's the demand? Follow the demand. So for, for bars and hydration, like Amazon is a massive focal point of demand. And then like, let's take hydration, right? Hydration six packs. The grocery is not. You're not going to move a ton of volume through grocery for like powdered sachets, hydration product. You can move a ton on Amazon. You can move a ton in club and, you know, let's say Costco, but less so in grocery. Bars are different. You can move a ton in grocery in club and Amazon, but it's just the, the proportionality. So for me, it's always just follow the demand. What does the demand heat map look like? And map your go to market. I was gonna say map your go to market to that, but you also don't even have to, right? Because all those things are where are where the most competition is happening. So you might say, this is what RX Bar did so brilliantly, right? They were like, I know where all the demand hotspots are for protein bars. I'm gonna do none of them, and I'm gonna sell a CrossFit gyms. That's all I'm gonna do. Sell the CrossFit gyms. Why? Because that's my target demographic. The product resonates with them. And it's a cult-like following, and generally speaking, cult-like followings are the best business model. And it worked like flawless. I think their first zero to six million dollars in revenue was all through CrossFit, and then they started generating money through through other. So it's not, you know, there's many ways to skin the cat, but um, that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. How how do you? What's the marketing brought like high level? Right, so you got you got an omni-channel brand, right? Your your in brick and mortar, like you said, Amazon's big. You you've got your DTC presence. Do you separate marketing initiative to drive specific revenue in those individual channels? Is it more of a halo effect? We're just going to market the brand in general and kind of like analyze on the back end. How does it influence your marketing strategy? Well, I mean, we do what everyone else does, which is like you know, Facebook and Instagram ads for our website, email marketing, SMS marketing. Um, we have a couple like other ways of generating leads um, through partnerships, and you know we sponsor podcasts and some newsletters. And and on Amazon, we bid on keywords, and we have DSP DSP ads and direct display ads, and so we do all of those things that most people do. We try to do the really really well, but um, but yeah, I mean we're we're solving the halo like the halo effect is very real. Like we will buy a customer through Facebook, they buy once, and then they buy their second through their 10th time on Amazon. And we lose tracking on that. Like that is happening to what extent we don't know. Or they buy on our website once and then they buy at Sprouts, you know, for that next six months. By the way, Jess on our team is way, can speak way more intelligently on all this. She can, 
she runs their whole digital business. But um, yeah, I mean, there is some like leakage uh, from an attribution standpoint or halo effect or whatever you want to call it. And then with post-purchase surveys, like we'll learn, it's bi-directional. So someone will shop, they'll find us at Sprouts and then they'll buy us on our site and vice versa. They'll find us on Facebook, ad, go to our site, try us and find us at Sprouts. So it gets bi-directional and it's like a flywheel, but so long as we get the sale, that's what's important. But we're, our, our LTV will always be higher than what our attribution software says it is. We, we just know that. I almost think like speaking to, you know, other uh, CPG brand founders, it's it's that complexity and potentially not having a complete, you know, it's really easy to run an ad to a website. That's your only point of purchase. And you know, it's it's... But even with all the issues of attribution, you can track that really easily, right? You spend this much, your revenue is this much, this is how many people are coming back to buy, this is how frequently they're coming back to buy. I almost feel like that complexity of when you do broaden into true omni-channel and potentially go retail and Amazon is almost, you know, um, maybe this is too strong, but it puts people off because, well, how do you control that? How do you control the signals, you know, and almost be okay with not, to your point, well, they might buy on Facebook, we might lose them, wherefore we'll lose them in our tracking. But if they're buying in store, then that's actually really beneficial, not only for the revenue, but it's also increasing our sell-through rates in the store, which is good for repeat purchasing through those stores. You know, you need some level of, uh, and I won't push you on the on the details, because um, even I, I, know, I know a high level these days, but that's complex to track and build a broader business model around right? Because it, it's not as one-to-one. -one. So there's some hesitancy, I think, to maybe do that because you can't control it as much, even though to your, you're tapping into those points of demand and it's probably going to help you scale the brand more. It, it, you know, outside the brands, like you said, where you have that checkpoint of where DTC really makes sense for CPG. So, um, I don't know, maybe any advice around how to think through that for other brand owners who might be pushing the DTC, but thinking about broadening into Amazon or going into retail? No, like I don't have any earth shattering ideas on how best to, I'm certainly not an attribution expert, but um, what I would say is look at just your blended mark, like metrics that matter. So gross margin, contribution margin, net margin as a total business. And what we've found generally, I think that again, this, differs by category and average order value and all that, that brick and mortar can be really profitable and can subsidize uh, your your online business. Like you can have a huge online business and and you want to keep growing it. And to do so, you let's say you have to run it at like break even. And the beauty of brick and mortar is you can be like super profitable relative to e-commerce and basically subsidize e-commerce. And again, e-commerce, your, your stats are, are better. Like, don't think that because you're running out of break even, it's generating no value. No, like, all those people are going to then see you in stores and that halo effect we talked So you just want more, like, touch points with the consumer. Like, uh, you walk by a shelf in Sprouts. That's a Facebook ad. It's no different than a Facebook ad. It's an impression. So you just served an impression by being on that shelf to that consumer and you didn't pay for it. So you're just getting all these free impressions all day long. And then eventually someone buys it and you make a profit. 
right? So you acquired that customer for $0 and, you know, maybe you did a promo and then it's like, okay, I acquired them for the cost of the promo, whatever. But let's say they're just buying, you acquired them for $0 and you made that margin and go do that a zillion more times. And that's a really profitable business. It's a, the unit economics are so different, but I just think, you know, pre iOS 14.5, back in the, like the glory days, you could just be super profitable, just D2C, run a whole business off of Facebook ads and call it a day. That is clearly not the case today. So I think the answer is omni-channel. You know, people don't talk about a brick and mortar. There's all these like, you go on Twitter and, you know, LinkedIn or whatever. All anyone's ever talking about is D2C. And it's silly, silly. Because you're missing just these massive chunks to, of a business that, by the way, will have a halo effect and flywheel effect on D2C. I agree. Especially in this vertical. I think there's probably a couple of reasons why. I think some of it is complexity. You, you, you like, like going back to my previous point, like if it's just DTC, we can, even, even if we're clipping our wings of growth, well, we can, we understand the measurement better than if we start doing that. I think there's that. But also, you know, as digital marketers, um, I don't know what, I don't know what Twitter bubbles or anything you're in, uh, but maybe some of the ones that I'm in. One of the challenges, and, and we work with CPG brands, I'm part of a CPG brand, Spudzy. One of the challenges is, yeah, you must know Ashley. Do you know Ashley? Yeah, yeah she's, uh, she's a great friend of mine. Um, you know, you need you need smart people and aligned incentives to think, well, is, is digital working if it's not driving that, you know, it's not one-to-one, -one, you know, as, as such, but to... to to the degree that it can be one-to-one, -one, online ads, online sale, right? Um, as a digital marketing team, there's a different methodology to justify and think through strategically how are our marketing efforts online supporting a brand that maybe most of those sales aren't happening on my Shopify store, but if it's helping Amazon, if it's helping people correlate the Facebook ad or... Um, whatever else it is with the packaging when they walk past it in the aisle of a grocery store it's still having that that impact um it's it's you know not, not to be too simple but it's just harder right it's harder to justify potentially how especially in the earlier stages of a brand right um so i think that's probably why it doesn't get talked about as much within some of those circles um okay uh tiktok Everyone has to talk about TikTok these days. It's 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 not new these days, right? But it's a channel that I think a lot of people have really dove into quite aggressively. You're seeing some brands say it's it's having a huge benefit on the brand. One thing I think it has done is really push the emphasis around things like UGC type content and UGC ads and everything else. How are you using the platform? Is it working? If so, what's working? Again, this would be one where... Uh where Jess on our team would have a better answer than I would. But uh, we, we do it. We, we, we work with this agency who is pretty is pretty good. And they do a variety of like UGC stuff and original stuff. And look, I, I think we could be more successful on TikTok. It's not been a focal point for us, whereas I think for other brands, maybe it has. We've taken a brand-centric approach where I think a lot of brands have taken like a founder centric approach or like a sort of like under the hood approach like water boy that hydration brand is very much like that and i think that works really well 
think you have to like choose which channels you really want to go hard after. Candidly, we don't, I mean, it's not like we, if we invest X units of time, energy, money into, let's say Amazon advertising versus let's say TikTok, whether it be no content creation and curation and or advertising, we've just found we get more money out of the former versus the latter. And, and I've talked to so many people that about TikTok about how, like what's the actual purchase intent of people, whether or not you go viral, how much actual sales are you driving from that and found it to be fairly under underwhelming. Contextual, some brands clearly crush it and but many don't. So I don't know, definitely not like a, a TikTok guru. We do it. We don't go as hard after it. Like there's a world in which I could, all the stuff I do on LinkedIn, I could, I could just do that on TikTok in a video form. And maybe that works really well, but it's just, I don't know how, how, how like how much actual customer affinity are you building? How much actual purchase intent is there? You'd probably have a much, much better than I would. I think it all comes down to what you were saying, right? Is when you're thinking about channel mix test, but ultimately what's the thing that's driving the most ROI? I think at certain levels of scale, you broaden your, your channel mix of testing, right? But if you're a brand and you know, Amazon ads are working really well for me, like it probably doesn't harm to build up some level of organic presence on other channels, but it's like, it's, it's, it's that, uh, not being kind of not having the shiny object syndrome. Where it's like, oh, well, this brand, this brand is performing really well on TikTok. So let's go all in. I think it's knowing what works for the brands at the different stages of the brand as well, which, which changes significantly. If you're zero to 1 million, what you, what you might need to be doing and focusing on versus if you're 50 million plus is probably vastly different. Well, that's the thing. Like you can get to 20 million with one channel, like just Instagram. We're just TikTok. We're just AMs on that. Like, so I think a lot, yeah, tests, but like if something's working meaningfully better, double, triple, and quadruple down on that until you hit a ceiling. Yeah, I agree with that. Agreed. Um, awesome. Uh, well, we're coming up on time. Uh, great conversation. I feel like there's so much I could learn and people could learn from you. You obviously live and breathe this and are super smart. Um, we'll end it on what are you most excited about for the brand this year? Product development. Like I said, we're um, looking at launching a coffee product. Um, so that'll be cool. And that'll like round out with three product lines. And um, I'm really excited about this branding project. On the sales side, I'm... actually most of what I'm excited about is is brick and mortar. We're rolling out in Costco LA. We're rolling out in, open to roll out in a couple other Costco regions. We're in the middle of the Sam's Club buy, trying to get BJ's, just rolled out in HEB, trying to get a Publix. Like there's a lot of momentum and stuff in the hot upper that we're trying to close. And then if we close, execute on trying to double the business, like 100% growth year over year is extremely tough, but is achievable. We think I'm trying to not go insane. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. Yeah. The, the, the latter one being the most important, right? Don't lose your mind whilst you're doing it. Yeah. Just get sleep. Don't drink too much booze, exercise regularly. Got to do all the, don't do all the, the basics. And you're doing the crazy entrepreneurial lifestyle. It's the wheels are going to kind of come off at some point. I know. I, I actually just got one of these whoop, these whoop bands. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, it's judging me pretty hard right now on my sleep. Like I feel this accountability 
to my whoop band when I when I wake up in the morning and I read how bad my sleep has been. Um, I definitely need to get better at, uh, you know, because even when I, I think I'm getting X amounts of sleep and it, it tells me, no, you woke up like seven times during the nights and, you, you know, you're not actually get. I think the other night I got 12 minutes of REM sleep. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to hold myself more accountable and uh, to living a more balanced life <laughs> for sure. It's in Boston. It's right down the road from us. It was started by a guy, a guy I went to college with. Yeah. It's so much like having so much data about yourself is it's a funny like dynamic. Cause it's like, it is. Yeah. What do you do? So you've got a bad night's sleep. What do you do about that? Well, like, do you know what I was thinking that I was thinking that this morning I was like, what? Okay. Um, it says I'm waking up too often in the night. So I might go to like, I might fall asleep at this time, wake up at this time. But through that, I'm waking up several times. I don't know what I do about it. <laughs> like take an Ambien or something. I'm not, I'm not too sure. So the data's beneficial. I guess you could like test a bunch of stuff and just look at the data. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then you drink, you know, whatever, you drink five beers and you're like, yeah, I could have guessed that my recovery score would suck. And it does. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know? Exactly. There's this other um, uh, uh, friend of mine was um, showing me this other thing called, I think it's called Zoe. It's like this thing that monitors like your blood, uh, yeah, blood sugar levels and all this sort of stuff. And it shows you these charts of how your body reacts to certain foods. That's, that's really applicable because like you can actually, you can tweak the foods you're ingesting, right? Based on, on the totally reading. Different people digest like, like let's say rice, right? The carb carb heavy um, food. Different people will react wildly different to rice. Like some people, it'll skyrocket their blood sugar. Some people light bump and you're back to normal. So yeah, I've always wanted to do that myself. Actually, the same thing for caffeine, right? They're fast fast digesters and slow digesters. So I guess twenty twenty three and me, he'll tell you if you're, which one you are. Which, not that I want to give give them my uh, up health information but i've always wanted to do that too like i don't know what i am am i a, a speedy caffeine digester and so that would be cool yeah lots of interesting stuff um well really appreciate it if people want to find you and the brand what's the best place to, to go to eat iqbar.com is our url um at eat iqbar is our, our social handle on all the major platforms Find me on LinkedIn. I'll, I post my random airbrain musings. Um, Will Nitzeta, N I T Z E. And run Amazon. Find that stores around on our store locator. And yeah, I think that's about it. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks, Robbie.